What would I say to somebody who was thinking of doing life uni? I would say come prepared to learn a lot in unconventional ways and meet people that will journey with you at the same pace. If you're a fan of the Tent Talks podcast, then you or someone you know might be interested in Life Uni. Life Uni is a course that I have become involved in over the last year or so, and it is one of the most exciting things I've done for a long time. You will learn things that you didn't think you needed to learn and stuff that will tie into your everyday life. The Life Uni course takes young people between the ages of 18 to 25 and offers them a whole life discipleship program. We combine following the way of Jesus with life skills such as money management, conflict resolution, working off the land, nutrition, health and other great topics. We eat together, we play together and we even work together because the course includes options for internships, job shadowing and volunteer opportunities for businesses and charities in the area. The course happens in the south of England near Brighton. It begins at the end of September and runs for eight weeks and registration is open now. Just go to lifeuni.co.uk for any more information you need. I've been telling my mum, I've been teaching my mum about a lot of the stuff that we've learned and she wishes that she had learned that when she was younger. Life Uni also offers open courses for anyone of any age or stage. These day-long seminars look at similar life skill subjects combined with following the way of Jesus. I would say if you want to invest into your future self, come to Life Uni. Come with an open heart and an open mind. Go to lifeuni.co.uk for more information. Welcome, fellow traveller, to the Tent Talks podcast, where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social and political imagination. From time to time, Churches and other groups hire me as a tent theologian to act as a sort of consultant, helping them think Christianly about whatever it is they're going through. St. Luke's Church in London hired me a few months ago to go through the Sermon on the Mount with them, and I recorded a series of conversations with the Vicar John and with other guests who came and joined our conversation from time to time. They were kind enough to allow these recordings to be released on the podcast. I hope you enjoy hearing them as much as we enjoyed making them. Joining me today, as ever, is a good friend of ours uh, here at St. Luke's called Dr. Stephen Backhouse. Stephen, it's lovely to have you with us. How are you today? I'm good. You're probably going to hear a different voice, uh, a different sound, and you're going to see a different background because I'm in a different room today. So I hope that I hope the sound isn't too echoey. No, it's uh, it's nice to have a bit of... I mean, I miss the fairy lights, but... Uh, I know. But, I've, I've been knocked out of my cave for a bit because of some building work being done in the, yeah. in the vicinity. So, And uh, now I see some red volumes behind you. They look very... Very yeah, that's uh, cool. that's the the Everyman Classics series. I really, I always, every year, I always buy, spend my Christmas money and buy a couple of Everyman books. Ah, okay, <laughs> they look they look very impressive on a bookshelf. I tell you, the 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 uh, 
nicely bound books in the background. Exactly. Yeah, they have they come with like a paper cover, which I always throw away, and I just keep the, uh, the <laughs> book itself. Yeah, so nice to get proper hardback books. Well, Stephen, speaking of, we are well and truly moving our way towards the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So today we are looking, Stephen, at uh, Matthew chapter 7 as we continue. And we're going to be looking at, again, a a, a very well-known passage from Scripture, very well-known sayings of Jesus, um, which many of us will have heard before. But we're going to hopefully add a little bit of a, a new way of uh, approaching and looking yeah, at let's it. Let's see what happens when we, we sometimes just have to have a conversation about these things and see what throws up, right? It always goes in some direction. I'm always yeah. surprised that um, which direction we end up traveling in. And, and as, a, as a reminder, before we kind of dig into it, remember in recent weeks, we've looked at money. We've looked at worry. Uh, we've looked at uh, judging other people and, uh, and, allow, and uh, what it means to ha- have good judgment that, that Jesus last week we looked at in fact Jesus is not saying don't judge don't make moral judgments but rather he's saying don't judge in, in other words put yourself in the place of God and yeah, so now yeah. we are looking at this passage Matthew chapter 7 beginning at verse 7 and I'm going to read it for us and Stephen is going to okay help us get going so Jesus speaking ask and it will be given to you search And you will find knock and the door will be opened for you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who searches finds. Everyone who knocks will have the door opened. Don't you see? Supposing your son asks for a bread, which of you is going to give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, which of you is going to give him a serpent? Well, then, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, evil as you are, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So whatever you want people to do to you, do just that to them. Yes, this is what the law and the prophets are all about. Hey, well, what's the first thing to say about this? The first thing to say is that it's literally untrue, isn't it? It's not true. So I love this is why we go deeper, because we're thrown into the deep end already by, by Stephen here. It's like easily disprovable. <laughs> right? like, um, ask and it will be given to you. Okay, right now I want a Lamborghini sports car. I'm looking out my window. I don't see it. I'm sure that it hasn't just arrived on your lawn, no. Um I mean, what do you do with this stuff? What do you do with these kind of like things which are basically literally and easily provably not not to be true on the surface of it? What do you do with these kind of verses? Well, maybe I oversimplify it and maybe I try and approach it in terms of uh, that often the things that we ask for, not the things we need. Right. Um, And so I kind of, you know, Yes, I want to be a millionaire. Yes, I'd like to have a nice Land Rover sitting outside. Yes, uh, often we think monetarily, don't we? That's yeah. And that's interesting as well, because it comes off the back of recently. We've just talked about money not so long ago. Yeah, right. Um, and the judging of others is also in some ways about comparison. We're comparing ourselves with others when we judge others. And um, some often what motivates our ask is our comparison with others. Okay, yeah. 
you know, I, I want to be like them. I want to have what they have. But 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 in all seriousness, you know, notwithstanding the Lamborghini or the Land Rover or the big house or whatever, but yeah. there are certain things that are, are we ask for that we think is is what we need. Yeah, and we don't receive it. And for many people, that feels very painful, particularly around health. Yeah, I was going to say like instead of the jokey stuff, I mean, let's you know go for the really hard stuff. Like I want to be married, or I'd like to have, I want a child, or. I want my tumor to go away, you know, but for those serious things like that, you know, what do you, do, do these sort of verses, like how do they come up as a pastor when you have like actual pastoral issues in front of you? How do you use these verses or what, what place do these kind of verses play in your pastoral life? Do you think when somebody has, when they say I want a baby and I've been praying for 20 years, what do you, what do you say? I rarely have any answers if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't I think I think I used to start out pastoral ministry with wanting to have answers and I think I now think the part the, the ministry of a pastor is much more to sit in the pain with others than it is to provide a, a way out of the pain uh, or to offer some way of kind of navigating it I mean I, I do think there's part of that but I, but I think more and more it's about you know as we, we talk about in other parts of the bible you know sharing in one another's sufferings and um, you know compassion compassion literally is is to have to share in the sufferings of others maybe it's the maybe it's the coward's way out maybe it's not having the neat answers but i think i i sit with rather than try and give solutions to yeah and and also sometimes these verses are the cause of the pastoral problem like if these verses exist then we wouldn't have this problem in the first place right like if it didn't say in black and white, ask and you will shall receive, then we wouldn't have the problem of, well, I've been asking for 20 years. How come I still have cancer or whatever? Right. So I, you know, these are, these are not easy passages to talk about, especially well, if you're trying to have a high view of like the truth of something. So I think we just, first of all, have to actually just face the fact that like, yeah, they, it is clearly not true. If we are thinking about it, like, there are some ways in which these verses are, are clearly not true. And, and those, those ways are the ways that most commonly we're led to think of them. Exactly. You know, so, so, and I think part of the challenge, of, even in human relationships, yeah. people often say, um, what do they say? They say, under promise, over deliver. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and here we have a passage where Jesus is, it feels like Jesus is over promising, under deliver. Right. So, you know, we really have to like think about this. And I'm not trying to, I raised this from the start because I think it's the elephant in the room. And I also, I'm not like trying to explain it away. I just want us to recognize, like, is Jesus being naive? Is he overpromising? What's going on here? And uh, let's talk about it. Like, I don't have these super quick answers for you. And, um, no. but, you know, even Jesus in the book of Matthew doesn't get what he prays for at one point because he says, take this cup from me. And, and, it, and it doesn't get taken from him, right? Yeah. So, but then again, but this could be the answer to our question. So he says, if it is your will, take this cup from me. So what is Jesus's actual request in this, in that prayer? Yeah, well, it is, as we see in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. Right. So, so you could kind of say, oh, right. He actually asked for God's will to be done. And he received that. So, so I think Pete Gregg talks about this really well in his book, God on Mute. And he, you know, in that book, he tries to address the big, questions around unanswered prayer because essentially that's what this is this is right. us 
looking at a promise, encouraged to pray something, ask and it will be given to you, um, seek and you will find, knock on the door will be answered and it will be answered to you. And, and, and when that does not happen, that is an unanswered prayer. Right. Um, but, and he tackles it. Re- I think God on mute is one of the best books I've read on prayer. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, uh, because, because as somebody who himself, Pete and, and his wife, Sammy, um, he talks about seeing some prayers answered, but, but at the point of crisis that he was at, he was seeing his wife have a, a, a rad, uh, a, an incredibly difficult health issue. He he himself was leading this worldwide 24 seven prayer movement. Yeah. And yet the prayers that he was uttering were not coming to pass. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and so this doesn't come from theory purely. It comes from his own experience as well. Yeah. And, and I think I think some those that have a high view of the sovereignty of God actually don't really struggle too much with a passage like this because essentially what you end up with is well yeah if God wills it it will happen so so essentially yeah. we kind of then you know if if I'm not going to be given a Lamborghini or indeed more seriously if I'm not going to be healed yeah or my or I'm not going to have a child or whatever, then that is the will of God. And I just submit to that. Yeah. yeah. Those who feel like the, the sovereignty of God is, is more in a sense, malleable with our human engagement with it. Or a a diktat from on on high. I think those of us who have that, I think find, find this actually more challenging. Yes. Um, Yeah. You know, in, in a sense, because actually once you've said, Actually, it's God's will, and if it, if it comes to pass, I, I kind of shrug my shoulders. It's over to over to Him, kind of thing. Yeah, and I think the reason I like Pete Gregg's book on it is that he talks about the will of God, and it's important that you raise that point about Jesus. Not <laughs> Jesus didn't get His will either, right? And actually, the prayer he prays is not my will, but Your will be done. Yeah, um, that actually there are some times on earth where God's will, God doesn't get His way. Yeah. And that's where Pete Gregg kind of lands. Sometimes God doesn't get his way. God doesn't get what God wants either sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. I find theologically and pastorally the most coherent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be loads of people out there who, as I'm speaking, are going to be, what, what, how, what, God doesn't get his way? Doesn't that take, but I think the sovereignty of God, he has chosen by his grace to limit his sovereignty within within yeah the confines of human space time well yeah i mean it's it's not that it's not that complicated to sort of say well look if god exists (laughs) and if god is good then john do you always act in ways that are good no okay god doesn't always get what god wants it's not that hard to prove right yeah um that whatever the world we live in is it, it if god is, exists then god exists in a world in which god doesn't always get what god wants i think that that's not hard to prove so then you have to think all right so what does that mean like what does that tell us about the character of god what does that what does that tell us about what goodness looks like or what power is or how god uses power so a lot of the story of jesus is the story of god like not if jesus is the representation of god then it's the story of people saying no to god all the time like even killing God, right? I mean, that's that's going to happen at the end of this, at the end of Matthew. And so there is like a, a whole area that we need to look at, which is that, yes, uh, whatever it is to mean, it means to be God. It doesn't mean that God always 
gets exactly what God wants. And that then we have to look at well, what does that mean? And it means something like we live in a world of freedom and that real freedom actually means real choices. And it means one of the, the goodness of creation is that there's actual free people in it and they can actually choose one way or the other. And so that the fact that God's goodness actually is revealed in the fact that God doesn't override every human choice. And look, I'm not pretending that's without problems. Like none of these are, none of these are without problems to them. And none of them, they all, if you push them hard enough, they all end up having problems somewhere along the line, a lot of these answers. But you know, the, the, the line that says God micromanages and controls every single human being, that also leads to all sorts of problems. Yeah, It leads to like some of the, that, that leads to calling God as directly responsible for, for the worst things in, that you can imagine. And, and so it's kind of like, well, what do you pick your poison kind of thing? Like we've got this world where bad things happen, which given that what Jesus is like, given what Jesus tells us God is like, you know, which of these stories can we live with the best or which make the best sense of our life? And I, I probably end up, I have ended up definitely on the side of like, well, I think freedom is real and it's important and that bad things don't happen because God made them happen. Bad things happen because because humans cho chose for those to happen and God has allowed them to happen in the, in the sense that God has allowed, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And so there is like a sense here that this is part of what you could even see in the rest of the New Testament early followers of Jesus are trying to figure out what to yeah. do with, with these kind of verses. And I'm going to yeah. go into that in a bit. So it's, I just want to say, if you're wrestling with these questions, so were the people who knew Jesus. Like we're going to look at it. Jesus's yeah. own brother in the book of James, he talks about these verses to try and figure out what's going on. Just yeah. so you know, like, so within, like you can't really get much closer to living memory of Jesus than his own brother, James. Yeah. And James devotes a, a rather lengthy passage in his letter of James to basically working out some of the pastoral issues that arise because of this verse, just so we know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just to kind of sum up where I land on this is that I think also all good theology has to begin and come round to the nature, the nature of God. Right. You know, yeah. Right. All theology is rooted is in a theology, which is that, you know, our understanding of who God is. Yeah. And I think having that sense in which God is sovereign the, the the nature of creation is he is self-limiting. The nature of Christ is God is self, you know, he, he is limited within human form. Yeah. Um, is the most consistent and it's the most loving, you know, love requires freedom. Freedom requires choices. Right. Those things all kind of add up together. And, and yes, true. When you push, push it to its ultimate end, you're, you're right. You do end up with questions, but I think you end up with fewer questions. Um, then, then going down the line with God, we're kind of puppets on a string. And um, but I do think that then you that kind of gives some helpful theological context. I'm not too sure it necessarily helps answer why Jesus has been so kind of black and white about it. He doesn't give any. He doesn't give any of that context to this passage. Where no, not at all. Right. Ask, asking. Yeah. So let's let's look at different ways that we might be thinking about, or that people have thought about this. So one way would be like I was going to say, like, is Jesus using a hyperbole here? So throughout the sermon, he uses things like, you know, pluck out your eyes and chop off your hands and hate. And, and another place he says, you know, if you don't hate your parents, you won't be a part of the kingdom. And, um, you know, he uses hyperbole for things. So, and all that language about 
going to Gehenna where the, the fire doesn't quench. And these are all like grand statements about stuff. Is this, this could be another example of that. Like this kind of, you know, it, it, there's a nugget there of like, that God is the kind of God that gives when you ask. And so he uses an exaggeration to talk about that. That's one thing, you know, which we're thinking about. Um, there's a kind of a, a, a genuine debate or like trying to read what's going on here. So the word is ask a tale and it will be given to you. Seek the tale and you will find. So already there's a bit of a kind of a rhyming couplet thing going on. A tale and the tale. So there's a bit of debate about whether like what these words, not, not what they mean, but like, are, is a teo and zateo a one-off thing? Like ask once and you'll get what you ask for. Or is it more like the one who keeps asking will, the one who lives in a state of always asking will also live in a state of always receiving. So it's more like an invitation to, to actually live a kind of life where you're always expecting or you're always searching, right? So do you see the difference between, it's, it's, it's unclear, there's scholarly debate over whether this is saying go on asking or ask once okay so if you if you go with the one about like go on asking be the kind of person that is always asking then that leads you to some of these interesting stories like that story in luke 8 18 where jesus talks about the widow the woman yeah, who's hanging widow yeah widow you got those kind of connections right the, the idea of like people who are uh, constantly living in a state of well that would be the poor in spirit the people think, who like this is where my provision is going to come from i'm live day to day waiting for my provision and i think his, you know historically you, you hear and see that i think i think a couple of things is uh, one of my reflections on this passage is that actually the process of asking and the process of being in need actually does focus your mind as to what really matters yeah Actually, we think of the more obvious things like health and like, you know, I, I, I know people who have what I would observe significant needs, but they don't consider them as needs themselves um, because yes. they have reconciled their, their lives around this particular thing, be it an illness or a disability of some kind or whatever. Yeah. And it might be easy just to project and say, oh, that's that's an obvious need, um, but it may not be to them. And I think. Yeah. If you're in a in constant sense of asking, it does focus the mind as to what really you do need. And and again, yeah. you, you do see things like, um, you know, you hear stories of three little old ladies who for the last 40 years have prayed for renewal of their church. And and they've done that every day for right. 40 years. And eventually it comes. You know, there's something about there is some some kind of correlation with doing the deep work of prayer that isn't just shooting a few arrows up, but being on your hands and knees and saying, Lord, I, I need this. Right. And it, it, I think, I think that if you realize the sermon altogether, isn't like a, it is a, it is a kind of a character development manual, as it were, like it's about yeah. becoming the right kind of person. So because that's what's going on in other parts of the sermon, it is completely legitimate to think, Oh, maybe that's what's happening here too. Maybe it's not, you know, like, for example, when Jesus says, be a peacemaker, it's not a, the Sermon on the Mount isn't, doesn't then follow a big list of what it looks like to be a peacemaker as an instruction manual. It's, it's more like an invitation to be a peaceful person or be a peacemaker. And it's almost like you work it out. You work out the details, but I want you to yeah. be this kind of person. Yeah. So that totally makes sense that, you know, being the kind of person who's always expecting one of the things about your character, if you are always asking or always seeking is that you are not a person who's locked down and shut down. Like you're, you're basically always living in hope. 
right? And remember that hope is one of the one of the virtues. Being a, a person who's always living in hope is somebody who's already got an orientation towards the world, which is a positive thing, right? For, for, for followers of Jesus. So the person who gives up asking and doesn't expect anymore is a person who's sort of locked down quite a bit in certain yeah. ways. They've, they've given up on that area of life. Or, so there's or, a sense that you're trusting in the goodness of God by always asking. Or, or indeed, they may, they may have given up, or indeed they feel like they've got all the answers. Right, exactly. So either way, it's not a good look. No. Yeah. So one is kind of yeah. is based on kind of self-sufficiency, exactly. in, in, yeah. uh, kind of a ruthless independence, yeah. and one is around a belief that anything good could happen to me anymore. Kind of one is kind of yeah. eyes down. And I don't think that always asking is like, um, because earlier in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles who babble all the time and think that by talking a lot, they'll get what they want. Because the yeah. Heavenly Father, know, your Heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. So like, I don't think Jesus is now instantly correcting himself <laughs> three minutes later by saying this. I think there's a sense of like, you can go on asking because you can trust that the God is good and he will give you what you need. And the more that you learn the ways of God, the more you will ask the kinds of things that God wants to give anyway. Yes. Right? So yes. it's like you're, it's like the asking person is aligning themselves with the yes. of God. And I think that you do see that a lot. And this is where we're going to get to with the book of James in a bit. But there's something going on here that it's like, it's more about the prayer than the one being prayed to. Yeah. Because the, pray, the one being prayed to is like, well, you know, he's always good. He always gives good gifts to those who ask. He always makes it rain on the just and the unjust. So if that is true, and if God looks something like Jesus, then what's the best relationship towards someone like Jesus? Yeah. Um, is it somebody who's, who goes, oh, no, I don't, I don't need you, Jesus. You, you go on your way. I don't need you anymore. I'm done. Thank you very much. We're done here. Or is it somebody who's fearfully kind of like, always superstitiously worried if jesus is going to turn around and smite them um is it somebody who thinks they understand jesus already and never have to ask him a question ever again you know like is the jesus that you meet in the gospels is that the kind of person that you should always have an attitude of of hopeful openness towards mm -hmm. or is that someone you should have an attitude of like rarely approaching and fearfully expecting to get bad things if you do <laughs> yeah right so there's that that's kind of something going on there so it's a discipleship character developing thing hmm. you know and the, the i mean also remember in the jewish prayer context like jesus is he's talking about jewish prayer he's not making up something from whole cloth he's talking about the petitionary psalms which there's loads of them which you would memorize and, and recite yeah like yeah. asking god for things every day in in liturgical prayer is an ancient practice you know so jesus is in some ways just saying keep doing this you know yeah um the prophets do it as well like you know like this the, the idea that asking god for something and also wrestling with god for something so you think about this is a famous sort of aspect that a lot of christians forget about but the jewish believers definitely have which is that you can wrestle with god right you can argue with god you can yeah Jacob wrestles with the angel of God. Abraham yeah. sort of bargains with God. You know, that whole thing about if I can find 30 righteous people, what about 20? What about 10? Right. Moses wrestles with like there's a Moses has an argument with God, and God's like, fine, have Aaron go. If you don't <laughs> want to speak, go and we'll send Aaron instead. 
And that those people are portrayed as heroes of faith. Yeah. Right? That's not a character flaw. No, okay. Abraham uh, arguing with God is not a character flaw. And so here we've got now Jesus saying, keep asking. Be like the widow who's banging on the door at midnight, right? Yeah, okay. There's something there about, about having that kind of dynamic relationship to the to God. Yeah. Rather than one that's sort of very static and uh Christian. <laughs> Certain types of Christians who basically yeah. like think that praying very fatalistic, put it that way. Like there's a lot of Christianity is very fatalistic. Like, well, that's just God's will. Whatever happens is whatever is supposed to happen. So that's God's will. Whereas the Jews are like, what? No way. That's not, this isn't right. How long, oh Lord, will you persist in letting evil ex exist on this earth? Yeah, How yeah, long okay. must I live? Read those Psalms, you know, those are arguments. Yeah. They're grabbing God by the lapels and shaking God. And they're in the Bible and they're part of scripture. And Jesus yeah. in a way is like, be like that. Yeah, keep asking. It's something good about being like that. So hmm. this might be a good place to look at James. Yeah, so you mentioned James last week. To yeah. Remind us again, like this relationship between Sermon on the Mount, James, the brother of Jesus, or traditionally and, and most commonly understood as the author of, the, of James. I think yeah, the author of the book of James and traditionally or commonly understood to be the brother of, he's described as the brother of Jesus. Yeah. So, so why why James more than any other book, or, or in terms well, James of James seems to quote it, it's a commentary often on the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, interesting. So if you go and read James, and you realize, oh right, James is working with the same material that the Sermon on the Mount has. Yeah, um, which totally makes sense. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, all the Gospels are, of course, they are of course are, are material that is known about Jesus that was in operation in the early church. And then was written down, finally captured on paper, a generation after after the events it's describing. Yeah. So the the eyewitness testimonies are dying, and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John are saying, "Okay, we got to write this stuff down." Yeah. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's a it's a collection of of uh, teachings put together into one thing. And so the idea is that Jesus would have would have said things like this everywhere he went, and it was known that he spoke this way. Yeah. Yeah. And it is no surprise at all if you find shades of that or echoes of that in other places in the New Testament, which indeed we do. Paul will quote things of, that Jesus talks about, and here James does as well. So, you know, there's a lot of that. If you just go and read the book of James and also read the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see a lot of, you'll see they're working with the same ideas. Yeah, okay. But of course, Jesus, uh, James is like bringing up some of the same pastoral issues that we have. I mean, look, at, so let's look at James 1. I'm looking at James 1, 2 to 8. All right. Um, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. By the way, you know that word brothers and sisters is akim. Do you know this word? No, go on. It, um, it's, it's also uh, how beautiful it is when the brothers and sisters dwell together in harmony. It's oh, like yeah. oil yeah. on the beard of Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a good word, brothers and sisters, because it, it actually, the word akim means blended family. It's not even blood family. It's like how good it is when, when siblings from different families dwell together in one harmony, which oh, is like a that. great word for the church, right? So consider it. Like so where are we? We're in what chapter? Uh, James 1, verse 2. Yeah, and interestingly translated here um, in NT Wright's version. It's my yeah. dear family. 
Yeah, right. My dear family, my dear blended family. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Whenever yeah. you face trials of many kinds, remember Jesus talks about persecution. Yeah. As you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So the testing of your allegiance to the way of Jesus is going to produce character. Yeah. The perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, right? So here's character formation going on here. Yeah. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given you. So James here is actually a bit like, you know how like you and I started this conversation by going, well, I know Jesus said ask anything, but but probably what's going on here is ask anything that is in line with God's will. Yeah, okay. We give it to you. So we've, at, we've already added a little explanation on Yeah, okay. Yeah. James has done this here as well. All right. If any of you uh, lacks wisdom, you should ask God, okay, which is interesting. And in Luke, in the, uh, the, you know how Luke has a version of the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Luke, if you go and read Luke's version of the sermon, it says the whole, that, that God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So already you can see, like, huh, um, it's not anything. The earliest Christians, the people who knew Jesus, James and Luke, it, it's pretty obvious that it wasn't just a blanket, a blank check. They understood if you ask anything, it's if you ask anything to do with the, the wisdom of God or the, the spirit of God. Which also makes sense if you go and look back. Do you remember I always say, don't just start reading at our verse. So if you just if you just started reading at Matthew 7, verse 7, you think it's all about um, material possessions or whatever. Yeah. But if you just let your eyes wander just a little bit up, remember, we've actually been talking about judgment. And about don't throw to pigs what is sacred. So it's all about discernment and judgment. And then the very next verse is about if you lack anything, ask God. And James here is saying, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, or the Holy Spirit, Luke says. So the idea like the, 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 the source and vision of goodness is what you'll be given if you ask for. So yeah. I just throw that out to you. That very interesting. The, the earliest Christian, the way they interpreted this verse was that it was more about gathering um the mind of god or the wisdom of god than it was about getting a lamborghini or healing just i just put that out there do you think that's quite a uniquely 21st century problem that we have with this verse is that we immediately individualize it to the things that i john march i stephen backhouse need in life yeah that's just something that we have just so got used to viewing god like a vending machine yeah do you think that's something that's unique to us or do you, do you think that's a battle throughout because it's human nature? Well, it is going to be a battle that James, we're, I'm going about to look at it. James also talks about material possessions and, and asking for them as well. So, okay. but what I want to point out is that material, you already pointed this out, that, that there are people who are mature, but materially poor. And they realize that what they need is not more money. They ask for other things. Yeah. You, you pointed this out yourself, right? So, and, and I, I think there's something here as well that like there is a connection that the person who, I did it, my, my instant thought was to go to a Lamborghini. That says something, when, even in my jokey example, that yeah. says something about my lack of character. So it's interesting. That I'm just looking for a thing. 
Well, this is the other thing I'm just, just while I'm letting my, the cogs whir in my brain yeah. is that, again, if you allow your eyes to lift up to just before this, yes, we talked about judgment. And then, of course, we talked about pearls being thrown before pigs, yeah. uh, lest they be trampled. And, of course, the pearl uh, was symbolic and Jesus used it as something of, of sure. value. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and ultimately the kingdom of God. And I wonder whether in part Jesus is revealing a sense of actually the things he really should be asking for are the things of great value. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Not the things that you immediately leap to be that a Lamborghini or, or even very humanly and very understandably our own healing. Actually, the things that have eternal wealth and eternal value. Yeah. Are these pearls of the kingdom of God? And the wisdom is what helps you tell the difference. And I mean, Jesus already talked about this. Like, don't don't be anxious about your food and your clothes, because the heavenly Father knows what you need. He's already said this. Yeah. Like, so it's yes. not like we're saying uh, these verses have nothing to do with material possessions. I'm not saying that because in the New Testament, material possessions and wisdom are always show up together in in okay within one verse of each other or whatever. Yeah, okay. right? So, so it's not like your your ability to discern or to know what's right or to have a value to place a value on something that is a form of wisdom and the thing that you most often have to place your value on is the treasures on earth where yeah. your treasure is your heart will be like where, where where your eye is the lamp of the body if you look at a thing it will give it value so jesus like by talking about wisdom it's not like we're not talking about material possessions we're actually talking yeah. about a way to understand the value of them so you, said James, James, James yes. yeah. so you said that James mentions um, material possessions as well. Yeah. So when you ask, he says, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Remember the doubting is like the person who's doesn't really trust in the character of God, doesn't trust in God's yeah. goodness. Yeah. That person should not expect to receive any wisdom, anything from the Lord. Such a person is double minded and unstable in all they do. So remember, we're talking about character and wisdom here we're not talking about if you ask for a lamborghini but you doubt in your heart then that's yeah. why you didn't get a lamborghini <laughs> yeah but then he goes on to james 4 so then you start to see in james 4 you start to see the connection and again we're talking here about about material goods james 4 verse 1 and this is pastoral here this is this is james the pastor like you are john right what causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And here's quoting the Sermon on the Mount. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And here's John the pa James the pastor giving a pastoral spin on that very verse that we were looking at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if anything, that's that's the qualifier for what Jesus says. I mean, this is like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like James saying, can you stop asking for your first century equivalent of, yeah, a, Lamborghini? of a Lamborghini? I want a donkey with a, with, with racing stripes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want a chariot with three wheels. Um, and so, but there, you see, like he's putting he's putting character yeah. and material possessions together here. He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. the reason you're not getting it is you're not aligned with God's will. God gives only good things. So if you ask for something and it's not good, then you're not going to get it, right? Which, by the way, I mean, that's not 
that is an answer. It is a pastoral response. It's not always satisfying. I won't even pretend that this was an always satisfying answer. And I'm sure James's parishioners weren't always satisfied with that answer. <laughs> but it is, it is an answer as old as time. Yeah. If that makes sense. Very good. What about um, as we close, yeah. uh, as we bring today to a close, that um, final verse that we read today, it kind of tagged along at the end. Of, it seems to sum up all that's gone before. Yeah, that it is a tag. It is kind of a sum, actually, because we're coming into landing now, right? The 712, do unto others. So the, the verse, of course, is, uh, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, you also do to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So, I mean, your, your, if, if you're anything like my English Bibles, your headings are going to be all over the place. They're going to give yeah, yeah. confusing. Uh, to be honest, it's kind of hard to know which verses, as we've known, it's hard to know which verses apply to which sections. But it's pretty, I think there's consensus that this is a summation of the entire Sermon on the Mount so far. Well, and it also seems to kind of bookend what we have him talking about in terms of the fulfillment of the, of the law. Yeah. Um, in Matthew chapter five, no, it's not the very beginning. Yeah. But he does bring in, you know, don't don't suppose verse seventeen. Um, don't suppose that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I didn't come to destroy them. I came to fulfill them. Um, and, and he talks about uh, his relationship to the law and the prophets. And and you know, I've come to fulfill everything that's gone before. And it seems to kind of almost bring the closing bracket to the whole teaching almost in that in that way and, you know we've so when it comes to dealing with just a backtrack just to remind ourselves the sermon on the mount is like a new rule of life for the new people yeah. of god okay peoples yeah. of god need laws yeah but they need the ten commandments and they need the torah they need all these things so then it, when it comes to dealing with laws now you have two approaches right you either you either have a welter of additional kind of codas and clauses and, and explanations yeah. Yeah. that you kind of gild the law and you're explaining it all the time or you could simplify it and just go straight for the heart of it right so you uh, you could go to the essence of the law these are the two like approaches to it and obviously jesus takes the go to the essence of the law and obviously he's in now conversation or intention or in outright disagreement with people who say oh no what we need to do with the law is come up with lots and lots and lots of additional explanations and live under all these things and jesus says forget all the additional explanations this is what it meant and and he's not giving uh an over explained rule book right so he's not trying to i already mentioned with peacemaking but he does it with all of them he doesn't sort of say be a peacemaker and here here is a list of what it looks like to be a peacemaker in any given situation yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and he doesn't do that with any of these things and so that's what you're like all oh, right he's just saying in essence, I'm not going to give you a list of, of exceptions to the rule. I'm not going to give you lots of directives. I'm just going to say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah. Which, okay. by the way, is also in the Hebrew scriptures. So it's not like Jesus is inventing something new. He's affirming something that's already there in the scriptures. And he's yeah. saying, you know, our scriptures that say do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's what I want us to be like. <laughs> yeah so he's affirming it he's not getting rid of it but at the same time by like emphasizing that as his summation he is also making a statement about the kind of lawgivers who are all about coming up with new additional explanations yeah okay any given situation yeah so does that mean all that's to follow which we're going to tackle in the next couple of episodes does that mean all that's following 
it's somehow kind of almost a different section of the sermon. Is it, 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 does it feel like we've, yes. we've left one theme behind and we're now entering another? Yeah, so we, we, we're we not going to get into it. So the, the meat of it, we've already passed now. Like all the kind of areas of life in which the rule of Jesus might apply have been sort yep. of passed on now. Yep. Sex and money and violence, basically. Um, it was ever thus. Yeah, right. And it's it's really, it's kind of as earthy and as simple as that. Uh, um, and power. But I suppose power comes into play on all of those things. Yeah. And then what's going to follow for the last half, the last bit of chapter seven is going to be kind of an ex kind of a description of the kinds of people who do or don't take this to heart so it is part of the sermon on the mount but it it isn't really about it isn't any we, we've passed that bit about you've heard that it was said but i tell you we, we're not doing that anymore but in our next few sessions That's why verse 12 is a kind of an end in some way to it it marks an underlining sort of pause point in the sermon on the mount Stephen, thank you for an amazing week Hey, we're going to get there. We're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount well. This Just has been a time. fun marathon for me too, I have to say. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leave a good review on whichever podcast platform you use to listen. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com.